Hello, and welcome to this edition of Fulham Focus. My name is Don Love, and I have the pleasure of being your host for our reaction to the Wembley final. Joining me for this podcast is John Schwab. Hi there. And making his first time debut with us is Mark Wyatt. Hello there. How are we doing, guys? Uh, hopefully, uh, everybody's still in uh, in good spirits. Uh, like I was just talking with a mate of mine over there in Fulham, he he feels like he's walking around with a coat hanger in his mouth. He just cannot stop smiling. Everybody thinks he's a big weirdo right now. Are, are you both enjoying what's going on? Mark, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think if uh, if anyone didn't know I was a Fulham fan already, they they certainly know now. I I don't think I've actually had a conversation where I haven't brought it up to the. Uh, to the dread of, of everyone I'm talking to, I guess, at the moment. But no, it is honestly, I don't, it must be the same with you guys. Nothing else is, is in my mind at the moment, and which is quite worrying as I've got an exam next week. But there we go. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> How about you, John? You still smiling, having a good time? Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. I mean, I just want to welcome Mark to the, to the show. Um, it's, 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 it's a very strange feeling because you spend all season, the only goal is, is the hope for promotion. And then you kind of, you get it and the nerves subside. And then you're then thinking about Premier League and all, a lot of my mates support teams in that. And they all kind of, you know, a bit of banter telling me how badly they're going to beat us next season. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's much nicer to be planning for the season after succeeding than it is uh, if we'd lost on that day. Well, we're going to dedicate this podcast just to Wembley. We're going to uh, worry about next season in the upcoming podcast. So what I really want to know about, because I wasn't there, you know, I, I you know, I'm in Atlanta uh, in the States. I did do my morning ritual before the game. I got my jersey out that I was going to wear. I set up my TV and my internet connection, making sure everything was all set. I got all my snacks ready. I got all my drinks ready. Uh, and then sadly, my wife interrupted me and made me go do some chores. I got them done, luckily, in time for the game. But you guys tell me, because you were there. What was it like? How did you get there? You know, what was it like walking up to the arches, seeing the arches and everything? And what was it like being in the crowd? For, what was it? 38,000 we're supposed to have had. So what was it like being in there? John, you start off. Um. Yeah, it was it was a special day from start to finish. Really, I mean, um, I didn't go earlier. My I went with a good friend of mine who I've been to most of the games this season with, if not, if not all of them really. I mean, he had a couple of grandkids with him, so we didn't want to go to, you know, we couldn't go to the boozer and stay there all day. So we we met up not too long before the game and, and all travelled up from from Wimbledon. Um, got there, got got pretty much straight into the ground. It was it's special, you know. I mean. You can see Wembley from from quite a lot of areas of London. I, I live in Crystal Palace, and we're we're really high up, so you can see the arches from um quite a lot. So in the in the in the week or two leading up to it, that was a nice reminder. Put that that pit in my stomach, like oh god, we're going. But uh, walking up to such a grand stadium and thinking, you know, we're finally here. It was very it was very special. I I wasn't that nervous until the day, but on the day I. I was actually less nervous going to Wembley than I was against Reading last season and Derby. I wasn't, so it was, the nerves were in control. But yeah, it was, it was just so nice thinking that almost every Fulham fan actually managed to get a ticket. You know, obviously I'm popping myself, I'm afraid, Don, but it didn't feel like too many were missing out. And you kind of felt we were, the whole club were there, really. Yeah, I didn't really hear of any Fulham fans on, on social media that could not get a ticket. So I think that's that's a huge part that goes back to how the club 
dealt with getting the tickets out there to the fans and how they got distributed. So uh, it's, it's good we're them. not a big. It's good we're not a big club like Villa. You know, they, half of them must have got that <laughs> ticket. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, Mark, what was your build up like in and coming out of the tube or wherever, you, however you got there, seeing the arches and going up to the stadium? Yeah, I, I was the same as John. Really, I mean, I was so nervous leading up to the actual day, but when I kind of got there and got all the the trains out of the way and, and finally stepped out. It was actually a, a mixture of like relief and just genuine excitement for a football match. I, I was less concerned with the result. It was kind of at the back of my mind and I was just ready to, you know, enjoy the actual game. When the lineups start coming out as well and you can start think to to guess about like you know the tactical battles on the pitch and surrounded by so many uh, Fulham fans. It was nice that everyone had had gone with it and completely come out in white as well and the the fan area was buzzing beforehand that was great as well i mean i only saw a couple of villa fans we were on the other side of the uh, stadium to them i think so it wasn't until we actually got into the ground that we saw you know the magnitude of it all and i've only been to wembley a, a few times the last time i went was uh, uh england portugal last year and but the atmosphere for for the playoffs especially was so different instantly you kind of get that that buzz the moment you uh walk in again and it was different to the cottage i, I mean derby was was a great atmosphere but it was just something different at wembley i thought and it, just being there you could feel it before kickoff when they come out and that they were in the in the huddle just before there was that kind of lull uh in everyone everyone kind of was you know cheering away but when everyone stopped and, and watched them just in the middle of the pitch just before kickoff there was an eerie kind of apprehension, but it's just, it's just why we go to these kind of games. So it was fantastic. So interesting point there when you bring up how you didn't really see any Villa fans, John, did you experience any of that? Did you have a lot of Villa fans around you as you were walking up to the, to the stadium or while you were sitting during the game where there, you know, they all, everybody talked about how they were worried there was going to be a spattering of Villa fans surrounding everybody. Did you see any of that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get to Wembley till you know. I kind of made a beeline straight for the ground and, and went in pretty pretty sharpish. So there wasn't. I wasn't lingering about beforehand. Um, I'm guessing most of them might have got in a bit earlier. Obviously, the long trip up, and um, I kind of just made a beeline straight in. That I saw no Villa fans anywhere near me. I'm sure they wouldn't have been advertising themselves. But um, you know, I, I had a look around and all that. But as soon as you know, as soon as the players were on the pitch, I wasn't really looking. Wasn't really looking left, right, and centre. It was just you know staring at the pitch, really, kind of watching what was unfolding. So, I got to speak with a Fulham family that I met several years ago when Khan and the team were relegated to the Championship. He brought them over to the Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium, and he had an exhibition game where Fulham played the DC United. Okay. At any rate, I met this family during that uh, time, this lovely Fulham family, and they've kind of adopted me, and I try to meet up with them every time I go over. And I had a conversation with him, and I got to tell you, I should have recorded the conversation because the way he described coming out of the tube and up to the arches with his family and seeing all these faces that they've been going to games with for 30 plus years and how they all just looked at each other and said, we've made it, you know, the way he described it, it, it was just almost bringing a tear to my eye. You know, it was, it was beautiful. So I really, really wish I could have been there 
I think if I'd have gone, though, my wife would have divorced me, and I truly do love her, so I'd like to keep her around. So we're going to move on, and I want to talk I just about... Ju- I just, I just yeah, jump in ahead, quickly, because I think, um, I didn't say in the last I think your, your friend has kind of hit hit the nail on the head there as well. It was, it felt like we'd, we'd earned it, it was, we'd got there, and the feeling around was so warm and so kind of, you know, we've deserved to get, we didn't, we, we weren't entitled to get there because, you know because of who we are as a club. I mean, traditionally, we're probably a second division club or, you know, one down from the top tier. Um, but the football we played and, you know, the run we went on and all that, it kind of, like, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't that nervy because it felt like we've earned our place here and we, we, we're good enough. And that was kind of, and I think everyone had a similar feeling. It was, it was, it was that's why it was so, so special, really. And that was his point was, it wasn't like, you know, hey, they kind of fluked into this and yeah, we got in there by the you know skin of our teeth. There was no arguments. Fulham deserved to be there. Absolutely deserved to be there. So just listening to the way he described everything, it was just absolutely beautiful. And I'm going to refer back to some of that conversation I had with him today dur- throughout this podcast. So the other thing I really want to know is, you know, wh- where were you guys sitting in the stadium? And what did you do to be a part of the white wall? John said he was going to dress like a cricket player. Mark, what what did you end up wearing, and where where were you sitting? We were we were up in the heavens. Uh, we were a part of the uh, second batch of tickets, so we went straight uh, up to the top. I th- I'm pretty sure, yeah, we were the second row from the top, uh, which was uh, always fun uh, with a dad who's a, a bit afraid of heights. Um, but no, I was uh, in this season's home kit. Uh, with the one of the retro jackets as well from the stadium store. So I was already... One thing that uh, hit me straight away, I said it earlier a little bit, but as you come in, uh, the, the difference with, with obviously us in all white compared to the, the villa with the Clara, and it was a kind of... There wasn't really much of a, uh, a cohesive effort. I don't think there was one that they consciously put out there to do, but they just looked so they paled in comparison to us. So with the flags as well, and and obviously the signs everywhere, I think I think we looked a treat. I really do. I, I, again, I think that goes back to the cons and the club. Well done to them getting the clappers, the signs, and the flags all set in preparation for everybody to just be all on the same page when it came to cheering on the the lads. So. Let's move on real quick. I want to start talking about the actual match here. And one of the things that I was talking about with my mate earlier was one of the beautiful things about Slavisa is that he's not a guy who overthinks things. Uh, and, and I'm not, some people would say, you know, that that's not good enough. He, he should be overthinking things and contemplating every you know, angle of the game. What he meant was, when it came to the buildup of the game and everybody starts thinking about, okay, what team do we need to put forward? Uh, do we, do we want to make sure we have more experienced players on the field? Do we want to make sure that, you know, we've got this kind of setup or that kind of setup? He said, and this was, I thought, very genuine. Silvisa just remains calm, doesn't overthink it, knows what he wants to do, knows what we've been doing, and he just instills that into the lads that, Here's how we're going to approach the game. It's no different than any other match. And we're going to go forward with this lineup. Did you guys have any problems with the lineup? Uh, pretty much went with what we did against Derby. Um, a- anything at all there? Well, it, it was interesting because 
towards uh, around the 18th or 19th game of, of the unbeaten run, there were a few fans who were looking to say, OK, maybe it's time now to, to rest some players and, and maybe not bring them into the starting level. I know Cess was definitely one that people were thinking maybe we need to reserve him in case we do go playoffs. But Slav kind of kept it the same throughout. And I, and I think that benefited the team as such. So when we put in a, a performance as good as we did against Derby, I wasn't really surprised when I kind of predicted that Kamara would start. I mean, pretty much every other player was a nailed on sir. I think if we hadn't have gone with what we've been doing for the last, however long, 23, 24 games now, I think there, then there would have been questions. But no, when it came out, it was a bit of certainty, really, and, and put my mind at rest for, for a little while at that way. What you say is true when it comes to resting players. And I, I'm not going to lie, I was one of those people who... I kind of thought, you know, we should be resting some of these guys and do a little bit bit of a rotation just so that we can remain strong throughout the season all the way up through the playoffs. John, were you thinking rest some people or you were just good to go? Keep it the strong, the same plays, the same people all the way through. To be honest, I think that the fact that we were kind of on Cardiff's coattails and there was still um, automatic, you know, it was still possible. I think that almost maybe decided Slav's hand and probably decided my hand that was – keep keep pushing for it you know don't if we rested players lost a game and then thought oh well you know we could have done it then that that would have been um i think that would have been a, viewed as a mistake so i think maybe his hand was decided for him and actually in hindsight i think it's it's good that it was um there was a, a break before the final game so i don't think fatigue or you know too much tiredness could could have been too much of an issue i mean n- niggling injuries maybe I, I was happy with the lineup and i think I think what what Slav has done, whether it's on purpose or not, is he, he just he's, he's had the same tactic pretty much with maybe minor tweaks or minor personnel changes throughout the whole season. And when you do that, and you're not you're not saying, "Oh, we're playing there. We're gonna we're gonna play you know defensive and try and hit on the." We just play the same way every game. And when you do that, and it gets to a big occasion where you could freeze, you could you've been doing the same thing every game so it it probably just comes naturally whereas if you're kind of having to think what did the manager say again or what what am i doing just stick to the routine and i, I think it really i think it probably really benefited us and and, and the performance against derby must have helped because i felt we were sliding i mean obviously the, the, the birmingham result wasn't great but weeks before that we, and that derby game just flipped and we just i kind of felt like yeah we're good with we're back and um and you know keep the team i, I thought Demar, kamara deserved his start um as i did against derby to be honest so I was happy with that, and you know, um, it kind of proved dividends. Really, just just that Slavisa's kind of oh, there's no plan B. Well, actually, we we didn't need one. I will say I, I'm one of those people who criticize him and say sometimes he just doesn't have a plan B. Um, I actually think he had this very well thought out what he wanted to do and dealt with the various situations that came up through the game very well. So I think the game we talked about this a little bit before starting the podcast. We all pretty much agreed the game was a, a tale of two halves. Uh, the first half, I think we really came out strong, played our game. We held the ball. Tom played a little bit deeper than what I like. Talking to my mate, he said that's all intentional. It's so that he can get a good rotation with uh, McDonald or whoever else is playing in the midfield. And it works. It absolutely works. So let's talk about some of the first things that happened during the beginning of the game. AK gets a nice reception pass, quick turn, shot off. I was surprised that it didn't sneak under the bar. He did so well. That would have been a great opening goal, I thought. A fantastic opening goal. 
on that on that quickly from from our end as well especially uh where we were the, we could not tell if that was <clears throat> excuse me if that was going in uh and and it was only the player's reaction that actually told me it was it felt like it was floating forever right i don't know about you <laughs> well i was watching it and i actually thought that the keeper got his gloves to it and that's what prevented it um apparently not but that leads us into the actual goal which happened only 23 minutes in i want to talk about the build-up to that goal though because yeah while the goal was absolutely fantastic this was a spot-on fulham play this is how they've been playing all season and it was absolutely brilliant where one of the key players picks out a brilliant pass puts a ball through usually it can be tim ream or you know it's been tom in the past even this time it was johansson Gets the ball on the outside. He does a beautiful pass out to the left side there, kind of towards the middle. Sess receives it. First touch, not the greatest, but he beats what could have been, it looked like a very bad challenge tackle from a Villa uh, defensive midfielder. Beats the midfielder, lays the ball off in which he splits Terry and another Villa player, just putting Tom through on this beautiful run in which Tom then just beats the goalie. I got to, I'll bet that Mark, you were at that end. You guys had to have just gone nuts the minute that net started waving. Yeah, I mean, obviously from from the view as well, it's difficult to see the space in between the lines. So when you see uh, Sessegnon, you know, he skips past that challenge and that, that, that first touch as well, it, it just goes away from him. So there wasn't much expectation on it. But as he gets there and you and you see the ball go in between, especially just past Terry's left shoulder as well, he, he, can, he spots Tom Kearney's run as well. What was interesting, I thought as well, is Sessegnon's decision to play it through the two, uh, the through the two Villa players in, instead of straight to Kearney because he had a lot of space around him. But that that intelligence there, when that went through, and then the moment the net started rippling, I mean, I forget Tom's celebration. I didn't see anything for the next uh, 35, 45 seconds. It was absolute pandemonium, but absolute elation as well. I mean, a fantastic moment. So, John, I got to see uh, off the official website the reaction of Gentleman Jim. And I got to say, it's just brilliant. It is spot on Gentleman Jim and all of his enthusiasm. His microphone is just pegged into the red. He's screaming so high. Where you were sitting, John, how long did the celebration last? And, And at what point did you guys finally sit down after that? Or did you ever sit down after that? Oh, it, it was no. We did. I was people around me were sitting. There were some family, so I wanted to be, wanted to be polite after about ten minutes. No, um, no, it was special. I, mean, I just want to go back and say that you know I thought the, the beginning of the game. I always feel Fulham can be slow starters, and if we don't start, we we can be a bit stodgy and things just don't come off. We we, we started the game really well, and it just felt like yeah, this is us. We're here. We've turned up for the occasion. There was no doubt there, and yeah, I think Sess's touch was. He gave the defender he gave the defender hope or the defensive midfielder hope, which is actually how this whole goal. If he controlled that perfectly, I don't think the chance would ever have materialised. Basically, so um, must be a bubble on that perfect pitch. But yeah, the, the fact that the defender thought he could get the defensive midfielder thought he could get there, he committed. Sess got past him. I mean, for a kid of his age to put that ball, it was weighted to perfection. And I mean, Kelly ran onto it, didn't have to break his stride. And the goal that I was kind of a little bit behind. Tomish and the goal just looked massive and you kind of didn't think there was any doubt when that went in it just all went nuts um and Jim's reaction I'm I'm sure uh, I I spent a few years traveling and all I had was listening to Jim 
So I'd be sat up at 2, 3 a.m. in a hotel somewhere. Um, the, the missus would banish me to the toilet in the, the belt bathroom in the room because I didn't want to keep her up. So I'd sit there with, with a basin full of ice and a couple of beers listening to Jim. Um, and I kind of, and that really made me feel a bit of an infinity with the guy. And that, that video was, was brilliant. I mean, he, he is one of us. And I, I love how he went nuts. And then kind of after about a minute, he sits down and starts writing down notes as if like, kind of, like, back to back to reality. Really. He's still a, still a professional. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just, you kind of, sometimes you, th you do everything right and things don't happen. And it kind of just felt that moment you kind of, and even get everything that day just felt like it was going to come good. And that made it feel even more like that was going to be the case. And I thought the first half performance from, from very early on was, that's how we had to play. That's how we had to start. And, and we did. And we didn't look, we just got straight into it and, and started playing our game. And that, that was so important. So, you know, you, you talk about how we performed and how we can, you know, not always, but a lot of times we do have slow starts. Uh, and, and we've actually been caught off guard because of those slow starts. But in this game, like you said, I think we started strong. We knew what we needed to do. The lads did what needed to be done. And in my mind, they really dealt very well with all the experience that everybody talked about and everybody made all the hype about, you know, that, oh, Villa's coming in with all these experienced players. They're going to have the bigger advantage. You know, they got John Terry. They got Snodgrass. Oh, they got Grealish. I think the team actually did very well in containing all of those, you know, so-called experienced players, especially John Terry in the back. And I got to say, you know, in the first half, you could tell that they were very frustrated. And out of that frustration, you know, we got to go and talk about how Grealish came in for his tackle on Tom because he was so frustrated. When you, have you I'm sure you've gone back and you've seen the highlights probably there, uh, Mark. Have you gone back and seen how he came in so hard on Tom? And would well, you say that that was only a yellow? Or would you say, you know what, it should have been more, it should have been a red. Oh, I mean, I mean, straight red, in my opinion. I've seen it countless times now. But it was, it was the fact that about sixty seconds before, there were there were penalty appeals, and there were a couple of other big decisions that had gone amiss as well. And, and when it was leading up into it as well, you could see that Greenwich was, you know, uh, looking to stretch that extra leg out. And and as it came in as well, um, my friend looked to me, and and he, the ref looked like he was going for the back pocket as well. So we thought. It has to be a red, surely. And when he pulled out the yellow, it was a bit of a, well, a letdown, definitely, where, where we were in the stadium. But I definitely thought it was a red. I mean, the, the foot, it goes past the ball. Uh, he's completely taken him out as well. And and knowing Kearney as well, with, with the injuries he's had, I was surprised that he managed to get up from it because of the ferociousness in the actual tackle as well. You know, and that, that was my fear was the way the tackle came in because it was from Tom's blind side. It was from behind. It was both uh, boots up with studs showing. It should have been, in my mind, just straight red. No question. Yeah. But that brings us to the referee, Anthony Taylor. You know, I don't know about you guys. I've seen him uh, in several matches on TV. I've never really been impressed with this guy as far as the referee goes. I'm not trying to put him down or be mean. He's just not, in my mind, the type of top referee experience that should have been chosen to do such a big match as, as the championship final. That, that's my opinion. So that brings me to John. If you look at some of the calls he made, and I specifically want to go to uh, Sess's, or I'm sorry, Adoy's first yellow card in the first half. 
Did you think that it was a true yellow card or did you think, you know what, it was a foul, but it didn't really deserve a yellow card? Um, I'd just like to say, I think after watching championship referees all season, um, referees I used to hate when we were in the Prem now look half decent. So I wasn't all that miffed with, with the guy. And I think he made an important booking on um, Taylor, no, Chester early on, which certain teams have got us and kind of kicked us to shreds a bit and got away with it. And, and it's meant that they can just keep doing it. And I think that early yellow set the tone, but probably helped us a bit. They knew they couldn't just kick, kick lumps out of us. Um, I mean, I think Grealish was a red. Um, the Adoy, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only person seeing this, but I thought Adoy got to the ball first. I thought he nicked it away from the guy. He did kind of take it around, but, but he, he got there first. So I don't think it was a yellow. Um, I think if he hadn't got the ball first, then as he had given Chester one, yeah. But if you compare the Grealish tackle, which was a yellow to Adoy and, and Chester, to be honest, I mean, they are chalk and cheese really, aren't they? So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was harsh. And, Adoy doesn't make horrible challenges, I don't think, very often, but he he doesn't have that thing in his head when, when you've made one, you're on a yellow, you need to switch off. So I was a little bit worried, but, you know, that first half we were playing so well, I, I was I was confident. Um, but yeah, I thought the ref might have got a few things wrong, but I did feel the game was kind of controlled and it wasn't, you know, those kind of games can just spiral and kind of everyone's in the stands just thinking the ref is now ru- ruining the game. I don't think... The ref did that. I mean, he might not get everything right, but yeah, I, I I wasn't too displeased. I actually think, you know, I'll give him credit. You're right. He he did come out with an early yellow card, which I was really thinking, okay, he's going to set the tone for this game. But there were just too many times after that for me where he made silly calls or he bought into Grealish and his little theatrics of any little nickel tickle that he got, you know, Oh, it was just stupid. Some of the falls and the dives he did. It, it drove me nuts. I was screaming so many times at the TV. That, Some, uh, something, that surprised, something that surprised me about Grealish is actually, I saw a game recently when, and the guy was running through from his own edge of his box and, and people were basically trying to take him out. Um, and um, they weren't doing half as good do- job as Steph Joe usually does with a karate kick. But And he was just bouncing off them. He wouldn't go down <laughs> no matter what. They were trying. And, and, and he was a little bit du- du- diving, going down and milking every time he did go down. I mean, I, I think we did target him to an, ex- to an extent. But um, I think we have also become a little bit more guilty of that. And I think it's helped us. We, we seem very naive, definitely last season. And this, but we've been doing a bit of it ourselves. So I don't want to criticise everyone else too much. But... Um, I was surprised at how easy Grealish was going there and, what, and how much of he was he, of a deal he was making out of it. Because as I said, like the few times I've watched him, it, that wasn't evident, you know, from from the other other occasions. But maybe maybe just you know that one run has, has skewed my um that one run against God knows who skewed my opinion. Well, as I said, you know, this was a tale of two halves, and in the first half, I think we did extremely well with whether it was man marking or whatever you want to call it, dealing with not only Snodgrass, but Grealish and kind of keeping him out of the game, which became very evident in how frustrated he was in that ugly tackle that he performed on Tom. So that brings us into the second half. And if you think about the second half, the first thing that comes to mind is Adoy getting the second yellow. Where you were sitting, Mark, could you see the actual so-called tackle that or or I'm sorry, karate kick that uh, Adoy p- performed on Grealish, and did you, from your view, really think that deserved a yellow, a second yellow card? 
straight away, I, I did call it as a red, only because we saw the loose ball. There was a, a gap where we saw we saw the, the ball just fly in, and and the moment you you see his leg, it's so high up, and it it was difficult because of the way obviously Greedish reacts, and we know what he's like, but. But the way that he went down, the fact that Adoy's leg was so high as well, uh, even a minimal bit of contact there, I think, would have warranted a yellow card, especially in the, the, the collision that they took. So, unfortunately, I, I think I saw it as a red straight away. So, I was pretty much prepared for it. You thought that was a, a, straight, a straight red or a second yellow? Oh, no, I thought it was a second yellow, but, but I knew it was a red because, obviously, it yeah. booked uh, earlier, yeah. So, John, let me ask you this. If we go back to the referee and his performance and how he dished out cards and called the tackles, okay? If you look at the second yellow for Odoi, it's a bouncing bad ball. Yes, his leg is raised high. He misses it. Yeah, he catches uh, Grealish. And he does catch him a little bit on uh, above the, the, the hip, you know? So I'm sure that was a little painful. Grealish milks it. But if we go back to the first half, when Grealish should have had a red card, we wouldn't have been looking at this issue. He'd have been off the pitch and the game would have been completely different. Don't you agree? Well, if he wasn't on the pitch, yeah, the tackle wouldn't, the foul wouldn't have been made. I mean, there was also the incident in the first half with, with Grealish and Fredericks, which we haven't mentioned, which, you know, I'm, I've, in certain slow-mo angles, it, it kind of looks like Fred's meant to put his foot there, but in the speed and actually he wasn't looking at him. So I think we, we were lucky Actually, because that could have been a straight red, um, whether it was deserved oh, or right. not. You're right. Um, whether it was deserved or not. Um, I felt bad for a doy because there was a, the ball was there to be won. I don't. There was no malice. It was clumsy. I'll just call it a clumsy challenge, and he missed the ball basically, and it was high. So for me, that was a yellow. And yeah, really shouldn't. But you know, swings and roundabouts. Really, I, I, I really didn't want the referee. I think I said this in a podcast before. I want a team to win. And I don't want there to be massive blunders and anything like that. And and I don't think the referee won us the game or lost or, you know, he obviously didn't lose it for us. So I don't really want to pick too many holes in his performance um, because I did feel that the, the game was kind of in the balance and he didn't do anything, didn't make any any horrendous, horrendous decisions. You know, I felt for, for a doy really because he um, he was the hero of the game before and then one which I thought wasn't the other, then a clumsy challenge and he's off and he he must have felt awful. I think we all felt a bit awful, but um, that set the tone for the second half, really. I think we Bruce got them playing better. They looked more at it in the second half and then that just kind of instantly stopped stopped us really good, pushing for much more. Um, and it was kind of a, you know, it's like a boxer who's ahead on, ahead on the scorecard, but hasn't got much left in the tank. He's just going to protect that lead and kind of cover up, basically. And that seems to be what we did. You're right. Villa did come out a little better organized in the beginning of the second half. And they did worry me there for a a few in the, in the beginning of the second half, but I still think the team meaning Fulham were still well-organized and dealt with everything going up to that second yellow. Now, when we get to that second yellow, obviously that changes the whole game. And and I got to give kudos uh, to Slavisa again here. Once again, I was talking to my mate and they had pretty good seats. And I don't, I don't know. It sounds like when we were talking earlier that you guys didn't get to see all this. The way he describes it is, you know, Johansson gets hurt, uh, comes up lame. And Slavisa recognizes it and decides, okay, we got to start thinking about subs. He starts pulling out Norwood. He starts pulling out Callis. They're doing their stretches. They're getting ready and warmed up. Well, the yellow happens and Callis gets pretty upset is what I understood. And he takes off his penny, you know, his warm up 
and he throws it on the ground and kind of storms off. Well, Silvisa kept a calm head. He kept his wits about him and he sat back and thought, okay, how do we regroup? And that brings us to the subs. And I think he did really well with the subs that he brought on because of that red card. Would would you agree, John? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think you were saying to me, because I, I was high up, I didn't I didn't notice this, but I think you were saying that your friend was saying that so the two of them were ready to come on before the red card, and then before. we got the red card, and then yep. he sat them back down and said, Hang on, let's have a think. We're now exactly. playing effectively with nine men. But he thought, no, it's better to play for a minute or two with nine men and make the right decision than to exactly. you know, and um that shows a bit of class. I've I've not always been the, the, the biggest fan of Slav's substitutions, but that was, you know, it's in moments like that where you prove your worth and he those two minutes could have could have changed the whole game we'll never know but what he did obviously obviously worked so yeah well done and I mean it's all right to be disappointed not coming on but in a game like that Callis probably should have you know shouldn't have done that but it is it is nice to see that passion but um it's lucky that Slavisa is is a bigger man than to think no you've just disrespected me I'm not going to put you on but he was doing what's best for the team and and um and yeah my mate said it didn't even phase uh, Slavisa. He, he just hardly even noticed. And so he did sit back. He reevaluated everything. And obviously he knew, okay, I got to get, get, get Johansson off the field. So he went ahead and the first thing he did was bring on Norwood, which I thought was very smart, very proper. You know, if Johansson's not going to be able to come in and play hard now with being down to 10 men, we got to make sure we got fresh legs on the pitch. Now, the second thing he did was – he turned around and he brought in Tom anyway. He brought in, uh, not Tom, but he brought in uh, Thomas Callis anyway. And I thought this was actually both a wonderful thing and a very sad thing. And you tell me what you think there, Mark. But the sad part for me was that AK had to be sacrificed and pulled off the field. And I really thought AK was having a fantastic performance and deserved to stay on the pitch. But at the same time, it was a brilliant thing to bring on somebody strong like uh, Thomas Callis who could shore up everything and help us to ensure, okay, we're not going to get another one or they're not going to get one in. They're not going to equalize. We're not going to go into overtime or anything, or they're better, worse yet. They're not going to get two and they're going to win. Did yeah, you think this was a smart one? Well, uh, it's funny you should mention, see, I didn't really, when the substitution happened, I wasn't really focused on the fact that Kamara was coming off because in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, well, you know, we've still got Sess and Kearney and, Obviously, Mitrovic was still on the pitch. And, and you know that Mitrovic's hold-up play is, is so good as well. So I, I wasn't really thinking about the attacking side. I was more about thinking, you know, just the defensive, like, just be solid if we can. That those little uh, that little two or three minutes where Slav was uh, thinking of what to do, I thought we saw um, McDonald slot back into centre-back and try and calm the ship a little bit. And I thought that was key. So so when we actually made those subs, yeah, I was I was thinking more... Yeah, let's shore it up in the back. Fresh legs on there. Norwood put in some excellent challenges as well. So, and like you said, Callas is is built like a unit. So he was perfect to to be handling uh, what what Steve Bruce was effectively doing, just throwing on as many forwards as he could, and, and rightly so. But it's it's funny that Callas threw his bib off because he seems to take his top off at every opportunity for all the club photos, doesn't he? It's, uh, <laughs> it's got a body on him. <laughs> but I think I think what was quite evident as well is take. I mean, taking Kamara off, he is going to be our oh, counter-attack threat you saw that run where he went through and there was a kind of possible penalty shout he just just charged straight down the middle just went straight through and when he went off you kind of really realized we we were tucking in and we we you know it, it was kind of stick the ball in the corners rather than go for a second yeah no, no need for an home at the end John that was that was all I had to say well I really think 
that Slavisa thought this through properly, and I think he did a great job. Johansson needed to come off. Bringing on Norwood and then bringing on Thomas Callis, you know, was perfect. Now, the final sub that he made, and I understand why he did this. I'm sure he wanted fresh legs and he wanted, you know, somebody in there who could shore up the back four. What he did, though, I kind of wish he'd have done a little different. He brought off Fred, and I kind of wish Fred had stayed on and he'd have put um, Christy, who he brought on, in front of Fred instead. And that way we'd have had t- the two of them who could work that side really well and shore up that side. He didn't. He took Fred off. He brought Christy on. And in the end, Mark, it, it seemed to work really well, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, like I was saying earlier, it was it was all about that trying to just see out the game. And, and I know this team, especially the last couple of years, how many times have we uh, we been expecting almost a red card? There's been there's been moments in in the seasons gone by where it's just kind of expected that maybe a sending off is going to happen. So I, I think what Jokanovic is, is been great at is getting that mentality across that even when you know things aren't going the right way that you've just got to dig in and and get on with it. And I mean we we've seen it before where first halves haven't gone our way and we've and we've come back into the game well, like Millwall way, perfect example of that. So I think it was more about the mentality of of, of the defence and of the whole team really there. So in, in regards to Christie and Fredericks, I thought Fred had a great game, don't get me wrong, but, you know, towards the end, there was there are some positional moments where I thought Christie could have, you know, with fresher legs, done a bit better there, you know, overlapping as well, making sure that you were keeping control of that area. But no, I, I genuinely think, the, the subs he made, it, it just made sense at the time to keep it rigid at the back and, and keep that mentality of a shutout and a cl- another clean sheet for bets, which is what we're all looking for anyway. So obviously the subs are very smart. The last 20 minutes, or it's actually a little more than 20 minutes for me at least, were very nervy uh, on, on the uh, watching it on the television. I was uh, using ESPN for my video watching and I, but I was listening to gentleman Jim and he was a good, probably 40 seconds behind the actual match. So when it came towards the end of the stoppage time and I was sitting there just pulling my hair saying, blow the whistle, blow the whistle. I really had not realized that the whistle had been blown while watching the match and that the game was officially <laughs> over until I heard Gentleman Jim screaming in the background. And then it finally dawned on me, what was it like for you guys being there in the stands waiting for that anticipation? It's got to blow. It's going to blow. We're going to win. We're going to win. John, I'll start with you. You know, w- w- was people talking on your beard saying, please scream, whistle, whistle, whistle? Um, there was a little bit of the old beard tugging. I, I want to go slightly back to the, tw- the, the, the last 20 minutes and I, how sturdily we defended. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that we were just so flaky at the back of my foot. We, we dominated so many games. I don't think we even, oh, I got the impression we didn't even think about defending. And teams, we'd have all the ball and then the team would waltz through us and score. And it was just so different. We, we, we weren't, you know, we were going in for every tackle of the crowd. I think it's funny when you don't sit in your normal seats, you haven't got your, you know, the, the songs aren't the same and there weren't so many chants, but more just cheers every time the ball was cleared, you know, and things like that. And um, we really, we, we defended with intent, which I think we're going to have to do a lot more next season. And that, that really helped my nerves, to be honest, because seeing people to kind of standing off, we actually went in and we, we, we went at them and we really defended solidly. Those 20 minutes did, did last a long time, but just seeing the team going out on their, you know, going out swinging was, 
kind of was really re refreshing to me. And um, the final whistle was just just relief, you know. <laughs> we, we we did deserve it. I mean, Brentford killed me, um, and I just thinking we're down to ten men. If they score, we've now got extra time. We've just defended for most of the second half, but definitely the last twenty. You just thought a goal here, and really the tide turns massively in their favour. So um, yeah, that final whistle just. It was brilliant. Football won. Quote Tom <laughs> Kearney there. <laughs> well, like I said, and, and, and as you just pointed out, the last 20 minutes for me was very nervy. But as you pointed out, they did a great job staying organized in the back. And one of the things I've been yelling about that I thought the lads were not doing throughout this season, and it's what caught us off guard in a lot of games, was that we weren't as organized in the back. We kind of got a little out tired. Maybe our legs were shot, but we weren't putting pressure on people, immediate pressure on people. And I think they did a lot better job in those last 20 minutes of making sure that everything got closed down. So yeah, where you were sitting, Mark, yeah, where you were sitting, Mark, how nervy were you for those last 20 minutes? And what was your reaction? <laughs> when you finally realized, oh, my God, the whistle has finally freaking been blown. Oh, well, after I think so, so he, he goes off in the in the seventieth minute, and it's not until about the seventy third, seventy fourth that it finally sinks in that okay, the subs are on now. Now we've got to kind of dig in for a little while. But when it was the it was the board going up, that kind of no one in the stadium really knowing what's going to go on, how many minutes are going to go up, and it was it was it five in the end, I think so. Oh, it was yeah. five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so that goes up, which was which was obviously less than we had for the derby game, which was. That was horrible to go through. I think that was eight or so, but or less. But the 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 the, the five minutes go up. You're just thinking, praying at that point. I think they have uh, one ball goes straight through the middle, and I, I'm not sure if it was most likely it was Reem that that got ahead away. And then when the ball just gets cleared out into the air, you're thinking, right now he's got to blow up surely. And, and when it did, I mean you can't you can't put words to the feeling of when it happens and everyone around you is just hugging and grabbing anyone you don't even know the person next to you but you're suddenly their best friend for all of 15 seconds it, it, it was an incredible feeling and that brings me back to this conversation I had earlier with my mate uh, over in Fulham and I wish I could have recorded the conversation because I, I kid you not when I asked him about the reaction at the end and he said, you know, everybody was celebrating. They were looking around. And it's just like you described. He said, you were sitting around with people that, you know, you had no clue who they were, but you were just ready to hug and people were giving kisses out and screaming and loving. And he said, the best part was nobody really spoke, he said, around where they were. Everybody just kind of looked at each other and they knew the exact feelings that everybody, each other was experiencing and having at that time. So he said, you know, it was just overwhelming to where a lot of people didn't speak, he said, for a good 10 minutes at, at, towards the end. And he said that was just the best day. And this is why we're going to call this podcast the greatest day. He said it was literally one of the greatest days he's had as a footballer or, or a fan of football. And he said, you know, when he talks about going to the Europa League, he gets real misty eyed. And he said, you know, it, it, it just gets him in all excited. But he said when he recalls what that was like when the final whistle blew and all the people around him, he said that's a day that is just going to be remembered for the rest of his life. And he says that's the highlight. That's the highlight. So you guys tell me, 
how long did you stick around for the celebration? You know, were you there the for the whole hour or however long before they kicked everybody out? John, were you there the whole time? Um, you know what? When the emotions running like that, it's I couldn't I couldn't tell you if it was. I, we were there for quite a with the presentation and all that. What was really special for me was oh, I was sat stood, well sat and stood next to my dad, who's been a Fulham fan his whole life. So that was really special. We've been to, we went to Juventus, went to Hamburg together, but he, he's not always there. Not not there as much as me. But that was such a nice. Um, you know, we were at Wembley. You know, with my old man and my mate Steve, who, sit, who I sit next to most of the time in, in the Hammersmith end, he was a couple of rows back. Um, so just kind of having, having a, thinking of a Tuesday night in the freezing cold, you know, rubbish game pouring with rain, and it's that's why you do it for moments like these. So, it, and and that's kind of when I took in this white wall and just looked around, was like, now look what we've done, look what Fulham has done. It was it was it was really special. Um, I, I stayed there for. God knows, we were there for at least forty-five minutes, I think. But um, you know, then um, then even leaving it was such a special. You know, in the in the area around Wembley, obviously, there was so many Fulham and, and Villa were all pretty well behaved on the way out. I saw more of them on the way out. But um, actually, on the transport effects, because they left straight away. So I'm confusing my words there. They left straight away. But actually, I did see a few lingering at some local transport. They might have had a beer afterwards. But uh, it was more the further away from Wembley I got and strangers would come up to me and be like, oh, well done, shake my hand. And people, oh, we're so happy you're back in the Premier League and stuff like that. And just all the way home, the, it didn't stop, you know. It kept, it, it just the buzz kept going and people kept coming up and saying hello. And it, was, it felt really special. And Fulham are that kind of club, that likeable club that people feel they can approach you and say, you know, well done. And actually, we we are a club. We don't cause too many problems. So it's nice. You know, we didn't need my, my, my ego and my, I didn't need it massaging, but it, it got even better really on the way home. So the hardest thing uh, about being so far away from Fulham and being in America is there are very few American Fulham fans, okay? I have just learned that there's a good bit of crowd that meet at a pub a little bit south of Atlanta, so I'm going to be looking into that. But for the most part, you just don't run into a lot of American Fulham fans, okay? You know, most of the people over here, they follow the big teams, you know, and it's it's too easy to follow the big teams. So they follow Chelsea, Man City, you know, United and all them. So do for my, me, do most, sorry, do, do most Americans have an English football team? So you'd be surprised how popular the Premier League is over here. I mean, extremely popular, uh, especially picked up by you know parents who take their kids to the various soccer leagues and through their kids pick up on various games and various teams. So the Premier League is definitely the number one league over here in America, and it's the easiest to get and follow. And, and that leads to another thing. You know, the, one of the best parts for me going up to the Premier League is it won't be as hard for me to constantly catch every match because, you know, the Premier League is, is constantly viewed over here. But for me, the coolest thing about when the whistle blew, okay, and I sent out a, a, a Instagram tweet saying we're going up, you know, I had – a lot of people who know me who have always questioned, why are you a Fulham fan? And I've always had to explain to them, and I'm not going to go into that in this podcast, but they were messaging me and congratulating me and saying, welcome back to the Premier League. And I thought that was extremely nice of these people, especially from these people who have given me nothing but stick for several years. For They got relegated. Why are you still a Fulham fan? Well, because, and I'm not going to go into it, because I'm a true Fulham fan and I love them. So, Mark, that brings me back to the to the whole celebration. And what did you do when, you know, when, when the whistle blew, you celebrated? 
how long did you end up staying? And at what time were you finally kicked out of the stadium? <laughs> yeah. So we, we, uh, we saw the, uh, the presentation, obviously like John and, and then we saw you just kind of catch glimpses of what's going on on the pitch in between, you know, talking to you, the people around you as well. And so the, the, the things I remember the most are probably the initial celebration when, when Bettinelli, you know, he's, he's got the flare in his hand. And uh, I, I think Brilliant. he actually he had, he had it and, and I think he went he, he went to throw it. And I wondered why he went to throw it, but I, I noticed very quickly he was looking down at his glove, and I think he was worried <laughs> it was about to burn out in, in his hand. Yeah, so I think it was almost the only thing the that touched his almost the only <laughs> yeah. thing that touched his glove all game, wasn't it? Yeah, too right. Um, but no, I, I remember that, and then obviously uh, there was uh, uh, Mitro's on fire that happened. I remember that. Obviously, getting everyone in the crowd was was still like still so buzzing after that, and I think everyone started to drift out and you both touched on it as well. The, the best part for me was when I was clear of the stadium and we went back to my, uh, my sister's house in Brixton and just went into a, a pub where there was no Fulham or Aston Villa fans around, but the barman instantly saw me in my shirt and me and my dad as well. And was like, Oh, great game. And, and he gave us both three pints. And, and in London, that was something that initially blew my head off, but I realised afterwards, you know, everyone was just so happy uh, to have us back in in the Premier League. So, it, and it, and it's still going on now. I think we were definitely the uh, the people's choice. So going back what, one sorry, more time. What, what, Go what, ahead, did you, what How did you celebrate, Don? Oh my lord! I had. Is it, is it fit for? Um, fit for it, it is. It is. <laughs> when, when as I said, I didn't quite realise the final whistle had been blown. I was standing in front of my laptop, which was. Uh, streaming gentleman Jim and I was listening to him so I was standing in front of that and I was staring at the screen but it, it was just all a blur to where I didn't realize like I said that the whistle had been blown and when gentleman Jim finally announced that's it we're going up we're going up my poor dog was sitting there in her bed off to the side and she bolted out of the room so quick because I screamed so loud uh, I, I literally, I, I wasn't crying, but I, I had tears ready to come out. My wife come into the room, looked at me as if I was the craziest son of a bitch on this planet. Didn't say a word, just gave me this look and walked right back out. Um, I actually had sitting in the refrigerator that I was waiting for the next day. Cause the next day was, it was my birthday, a bottle of champagne. And I went downstairs anyway, and I uncorked it. And I finished off that bottle by myself. Now, you got to remember, you know, the game had just finished. It was only like 2.40 or so in the afternoon here in America. By the time I got halfway through that bottle of champagne, and I, this is where I go back to the conversation I had with my mate, I was so exhausted, I could not do anything the rest of the afternoon. I was done. <laughs> I couldn't think. I couldn't move. Uh, I, I was useless. So... Thank God, you my wife I think, had I think no more tours for me. It, it was such an emotional release after not just, but can we get into, can we get automatic? Can we get through the playoffs? We were down in the first league. We get to the playoff final. Get and then I was, I was exhausted. I probably just sat there watched TV all of Sunday, watched the game about five times, and on Monday I felt you know I couldn't move until it was a bank holiday Monday. So until Tuesday I didn't really feel ready to step outside again and face face life. I really just the emotional drain of that all was bit it was a good it was a it was a good feeling. But um I'm glad you drank that champagne and didn't spray it all over the place. That's, that's good news <laughs> done. So 
as I said, when I talked to my, my, my mate, his oldest daughter had just graduated from school and she's gone off to Spain. She was actually supposed to leave before the second leg of the semifinal and managed to rearrange everything so that she could stick around. And for them, that was a huge relief. So they go into the final, everything, you know, comes out the way it does. We win. They said, you know, they stood there for a good hour, hour and 15 minutes, just soaking in the atmosphere. And when they came out, they had no idea where they were going to go. If there was going to be a big celebration, they just kind of wandered around. They wandered into one of the uh, uh, pubs. I believe it was called the torch. Do you guys know the torch? I've heard that's supposed to be, yeah, there were two fully, fully in the torch. I didn't, I didn't go to either, but that was where, where you should go. I believe that one of the two was supposed to be special atmosphere before and after. So they ended up in the torch. Uh, they were very quiet. They said they just, the emotions were running so high they had a little celebration, but then they went back to the Golden Lion where they sat down and said it just hit them. And they were so exhausted, they just couldn't think straight afterwards. And and I completely could understand and relate to that because that's the way I felt. I was just so exhausted. I didn't want to do anything the rest of the afternoon. I just wanted to sit and relish in what was going on. And, you know, I, I was on my phone. I was talking with friends and stuff. And I was just loving every minute of it. And that's going to bring me to, this is a really important thing I want to talk about. And I want to finish up by talking about this uh, for the podcast was not only did I love the moment, but on the television, you could tell that the cons were loving and relishing in the fact that we were going up. Okay. And a lot of people online gave con senior con senior, a little bit of stick because he didn't go crazy. He didn't come over to the fans. He was very kind of reserved. Uh, but if you saw on the TV, and I don't know if you guys could catch this or you, if you saw it in the highlights, one of the first things he does is he walks over to Silvisa and he's shaking his hand and he's smiling from ear to ear. And he mouthed, or he said, it looked like he mouths at least because you can't under see the words or hear the words. You're going nowhere which showed me right off the bat, he's already come up with a plan for going up and what, what needs to be done. So did, did you guys think the cons, did you get to see them celebrate at all? I know Tony ran on the field and was going nuts apparently. What do you think, yeah. Matt, Mark? Did you, did you see him at all? Yeah, no, we, we, we definitely saw Tony. Um, I mean, in the, last, in the last six months, Tony's kind of gone on a life of his own. He's been even more eccentric and you know, happy to be here than, than anything. So it's been nice having their presence at the games, especially seeing it on social media and stuff. And the, the thing I thought with Tony as well, in the, in the recent couple of days I've seen on, on players' Instagrams and things like that, or they're all celebrating and Tony's still right in amongst it. He really has got that kind of a squad mentality nailed on uh, with Shahid as well. It, it's, I mean, he's, he cuts a, a, a great character and a great atmosphere in the club. And, and the one thing I always get from him in his program notes or, or just the way he composes himself in, in, in general is that he really does care about the club. Uh, and so it, it felt like it was such a genuine, you know, happiness and delight when you see them, all the photos afterwards and things like that. And, the, even the photos of Slav like embracing them, and and it's a great thing to see when your owners are that invested into the actual club and its future. It was it was great to see. I, I agree. I think it's obvious now to hopefully every fan that the cons are here and that they care about where and what this club is doing. And so, for me, you know, a lot of people gave con 
Shahad uh, a stick for he wasn't at the games. He's not at every game. He's he's an absent owner. Okay. Well, to make himself more present, I give him credit for putting Tony in place and having Tony around all the time. So he was involved and knew what was going on with the day-to-day operations. And I think that made a big difference on how they adjusted to controlling where and what the club was going to be doing. Now, with that in mind, you got to think and you've got to congratulate the, the cons for bringing us back, bringing Fulham back from what looked like in the beginning when we were relegated was going to be a double relegation. Like we could be going off to the abyss. Would, would you agree, John? Do you give them credit at all for they learned from their mistakes and they came back from it and they did very well? I, I definitely do. Even they, they deserve a lot of credit. I mean, I think a lot of people were very quick to to give to blame them for when things are going wrong. And by my, I mean, what always frustrates me is if you're going to blame something for the bad, then you've got to credit them for the good. And you know, I think I hope they've won almost, if not everyone, over now. I've I've always had a good feeling about um, Shade. I'm, I met him in the in the Riverside stand. Um, when he was very new and I just, he seemed like a warm fella and a nice guy. And he was saying the right things, you know, sustainable, but he, want, he doesn't want to change the club. He's just looking after it till, till he hands it on to the next person. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's done, gone about a, a classy way, if you ask me. I think he's, 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 um, he's done it with dignity and I, I, I've not felt they've, they've been vocal enough sometimes. Certain things like um, with the Klein issue, um, that, that was kind of one of the biggest things that there was a lot of uproar about that. And I, I never really heard a statement come out of the club as to what was going on about that. And I was, I was frustrated at the time of the lack of communication, but he just does everything in the background. He hasn't got to be there. He's put his son in charge. And I think they realised after Klein had one good window where he kind of, everything seemed to work, the next one was horrendous. So they got got rid of him. And and, um, and ever since then, it's just felt better and better and better. And, and, and Tony Khan seems 100% committed to, to the cause and um, it also seems like a really likeable guy. So it's good that, you know, if, if it's Lavisa, Shaid, Tony and all that stuff, if they're all close and they can, they can talk to each other properly, it only proves, you know, it, it's, it's a healthy working environment. I suppose what I'm looking for, the words to say. And, um, and I'm excited with what Khan, after learning these lessons will, will do next season. I mean, you know, he, He's, he's stated intent, and I, I've not seen what you said about him mouthing the words are going nowhere. But um, that that's that's brilliant, you know. That's that's what we all want to hear. So, John, like you were saying, you know, the cons have learned from their mistakes, and I think they've completely uh, rejuvenated the club as to where we are right now. And I'm going to go back to this family that I talk so much about in Fulham. Um, one of the things that they mentioned. And I thought this was absolutely great was how he's been supporting Fulham, following Fulham for like 30 years. His wife, probably like 35 years. Uh, they've got two daughters. They go to almost every game and almost every away game. But back in the day, a lot of the older people will appreciate this. You know, back in the day, Fulham did not have a lot of support. Okay. And they made the trip all the way up to Carlisle for a weekend game that ended up being canceled, but they were such true fans. And back then they said, there's only about 30 people that would show up to an away game. She went back three days later to the game and still caught the match, you know? So they talk about how the club has gone through everything and how Fulham is a completely different club 
from back then to now, but yet still the same club. And what they meant by that is that Fulham has never been that club that just, when a player has a bad game, tears them apart and says, we're going to kick him out. We're, we got to get rid of this guy. What, what the hell is he even in the squad for? They, they, they'll say, yeah, he had a rubbish game. Let's move on. And that's one of the things I love about Fulham is we're not that club for the most part where people turn around and, and tear somebody apart, okay? And that brings me to the last celebration that I got to watch of a, one of the players on the pitch, and that's Adoy. Yeah, Adoy got a second yellow, got a red card, got sent off, changed the whole aspect of the game. But I didn't see fans booing him, or at least I didn't hear him, and I didn't see anybody at the end you know, cursing him out. And when he jumped on top of the goalpost and was cheering on the fans and they were right there with him, singing right back with him, that shows me that's the kind of club, that's the Fulham that I love. So I'm going to finish with that. Mark, any last thoughts on how the game went, how excited you are about going up? Well, I, I, I kind of summed it up to the people that, that I speak to the most. You know, you always have that one moment where it kind of sinks in. For me, it was it was finally getting home at the end of the the night and 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 going on. You know, my phone had been dead for for ages, but I plugged it in, and and suddenly, you know, I go onto like all my uh, news apps and things, and it, and we're we're not the the tiny bit of news at the very bottom of Sky Sports page. We're we're right on the home page, and and you can see all the players celebrating. And when that kind of sunk in, that was when I realised what was going on. So yeah. I'd, I'd probably sum it up with that bit. John, same question. Any final thoughts? Um, I just want to say what a, what a season. It's been special. It felt special during it, but we needed this kind of fairy tale ending to kind of really seal it. Um, I want to thank the club. That's, you know, the players, the coaching staff, the owners, everyone involved in the club. And I want to thank everyone on Fulham Focus. It's been great to be part of this. It's felt, this season's felt better being part of a website like this. All the great work, the interviews, the Q and A's, um, you know, quizzes, all sorts of stuff we got going on. All the guys on the podcast, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, you know, after the, all the emotions coming out, we've, I think a, you know, a couple of months off might be good um, to regroup and go again next season. And with that, folks, I'm going to wrap this up. And here are my final thoughts. I have had a few days off, and I thought I'd calm down, but talking with Mark and John have just brought all the feelings back in to where I'm just tingling all over and I can't ex describe how excited I am that we're going up. Will I miss a championship? Absolutely. Am I excited though to be going up? Oh yes, I am. And I cannot stress enough how great I think it's going to be under the cons and how great I think we are going to show that we can do in the Premier League. Do I think we're going to be at the top of the table? No. Do I think we're going to be at the bottom? No. I think they will make it so that we don't be a silly club and overspend and go crazy and go bankrupt, but yet maintain what we need to do to be a solid club. And that's all that matters in the future is being a solid club. So with that thought, one more time, guys, come on, you whites. Come, come on, on, you whites.